the attack service is being extended, you know, not just within the, the confines of the, the network at the office anymore, but potentially thousands of different points. Welcome to the Rain Insights podcast series. I'm Emily Donahue. Let's talk about artificial intelligence and cybersecurity. For many people, the phrase prompts an unconscious recoil or thoughts of dystopian futures run by autonomous robots like those you see in movies and books. The reality is, right now, AI is confined to machines programmed to learn and mimic the actions of humans. AI can be used to bolster cybersecurity and predict cyber risks in a number of ways. In this podcast, Rain cyber analyst Ali Pluchinski interviews Dave Reski, CEO at Guardian Digital. They talk about how his company uses AI to address ransomware. Dave, thank you very much for joining me today. To start off the interview, I wanted to ask you about uh, different kinds of cyber crime. There were 623.3 million ransomware attacks claimed globally this past year, representing a rampant increase in the United States alone. The FBI reported nearly $2.4 billion in financial loss to business email compromise, or BEC scams, in 2021 which is 49 times as much as the losses from ransomware. So my question to you was, when is this proliferation of cybercrime going to end? How big will this threat get? And what is going to stop it? Yeah, great question. You know, ransomware is the most serious threat that businesses face today. Uh, cybersecurity threat or otherwise uh, you know, it accounts for uh, huge amounts of losses uh, and uh, small businesses are bearing the brunt of these attacks, you know, and they haven't really shown any sign of slowing down, thanks in part to uh, uh, you know, many businesses falling short with their cybersecurity strategies. They're just not prepared. I think as long as these vulnerabilities exist and there's a lack of the safety measures in place, the attacks will go on, uh, you know, resulting in this increasing uh, you know, financial loss. Uh, I also know that... Uh, 60% of businesses that are, are fall victim to ransomware attacks go out of business within six months. Uh, it's just uh, not sustainable. Um, I, I think we also need to see uh, some better involvement from the government uh, to do more with uh, uh, you know, Bitcoin and the, the, uh, the currency that's being used uh, you know, to pay these uh, you know, cyber criminals, uh, making it you know, untraceable and uh, you know, giving them uh, you know, carte blanche to... Uh, uh, you know, to, to extort these uh, businesses. So, so it's a really serious risk. Pertaining to that question, Dave, 50% of global chief information security officers, or CISOs, feel that their organization is unprepared for a cyber attack, and 56% of these CISOs consider human error to be one of the biggest cyber vulnerabilities to their operations. How do you think moving forward, CISOs can find ways to bring in a new generation of professionals that will be able to handle these kinds of demands and threats? Yeah, very, very true. You know, their ongoing issue for uh, CISOs is that, especially in smaller organizations, is uh, a lack of funding and, uh, you know, more sophisticated threats than, uh, you know, the, the small teams can keep keep up with. Uh and, and these, these uh, shortage of skilled talents are really the leading barriers to uh, battling cyber, cyber crime today. Uh, you know, more people are working from home, meaning the attack service is being extended, uh, you know, not just uh, you know, within the, the confines of, the, of the, you know, the network at the office anymore, but uh, 
uh, you know, to potentially thousands of different points, uh, each of which have their own security policy and their own, uh, you know, way of uh, you know, their own protection, individual protection. Uh, so it, it makes it increasingly challenging as everyone's rushing to the cloud and, and uh, you know, this whole work from home uh, new business model. Uh, so, you know, I think the best way to bring in new talent is going to be uh, to really educate uh, you know, people evangelize cybersecurity, you know, maybe partner with schools, uh, build an internship program uh, surrounding cybersecurity, and, and even promote open source as a solution. Uh, you know, developers and, uh, you know, technical people can get involved in, you know, learning how the code works, uh, teaching themselves, uh, getting involved in one of the uh, extensive open source communities. You know, whether it's cybersecurity related or not, you know, maybe you pick up uh, a uh, uh, an aspect uh, of open source or or you know software development that you enjoy, uh, and you know identify potential security vulnerabilities. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, you know from a coding perspective, but uh, maybe just an end user perspective. Uh, there's also you know documentation. Uh, you know a lot of open source is uh, you know writing documentation and, and uh, you know understanding how applications are supposed to work and, uh, you know, documenting that. You know, I think maybe another aspect would be uh, security automation, you know, trying to do more, say, with uh, artificial intelligence uh, to really uh, automate the, some of the more laborious or monotonous processes uh, that we do, you know, every day, like, say, you know, reading through, uh, you know, uh, security logs, um, identifying anomalies, uh, you know, looking for, you know, training the artificial intelligence to look for patterns that uh, could potentially be uh, an indicator of compromise. Trying to remove the human factor from, you know, a lot of this, uh, you know, cybersecurity, you know, methods, I think is, is also going to be uh, another important part to really make better use of the resources that we have. Dave, you've spoken before about the importance of interceding with a security cybersecurity threat prior to it reaching an endpoint or an endpoint user. I was wondering if you could explain this importance in a little more detail and potentially talk about how your company attempts to mitigate cyber threats by interceding prior to these threats interacting with an endpoint user. Yeah, endpoint should be the last line of defense. The best protection is that which stops the threats prior to it being received by the end user. By that point, we firmly believe that it's really too late. Uh, you know, endpoint security applications get involved once the user has already received the malicious email or the malware uh, and really has po possibly already disclosed the sensitive information or credentials uh, or even downloaded the ransomware. So now, you know, you're in more of a reactive approach rather than, you know, a, a preventative, proactive. Endpoint security is really retrospective. You know, the attack has already reached you. You just have to hope that you can catch it prior to, uh, you know, it being exploited. Endpoint protection leaves critical gaps in, in corporate networks and, you know, leave cloud-based services and sensitive data susceptible to attack. So once a single, uh, you know, desktop is compromised, uh, the attack can make its way throughout the organization. Uh, you know, it also has this one-size-fits-all approach to it, you know, where it's protecting users, you know, from the cloud provides more a more tailored and specific type of defense. 
Dave, your company works a lot with open source code and technology, and I was wondering if you might be able to explain the importance of open source code, why it might be advantageous compared to proprietary code, and also what kind of vulnerabilities can exist in open source code. Yeah, absolutely. We're firm believers in open source as being a superior vehicle to delivering uh, you know, cybersecurity solutions and have been doing that since 1999. Uh, you know, when, when I was at UPS, you know, we were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on proprietary technology to solve many of the threats that they were facing at the time. You know, at the time when open source was in its infancy, uh, I was involved in the, the development of, uh, you know, many of the, the methods and uh, techniques that were, were used at the time to, you know, leverage the power of open source and that collaborative environment to develop email security and cybersecurity solutions for businesses for a fraction of the cost and that were far more effective. Uh, they were quicker to deploy. They were more, you know, obviously more collaborative and you know, leveraging resources from beyond just the limits of any particular organization. Even some of the largest organizations at the time did not have the, the resources that, uh, you know, of the open source community. We really believe that open source is where innovation is happening today, particularly in cybersecurity. You know, cybersecurity professionals are increasingly understanding the importance of open source and using it to protect customers to stay ahead of those cyber threats. Adopting open source reduces the overall cost of development, but it also provides additional features. It means that enterprises will have other options that, and they won't have to continue relying on a single vendor. Open source will lead to more, you know, more secure open source code. Uh, since contributors can review the base code, make improvements, and, and share that technology among their peers and, and other businesses to, uh, you know, as a stepping stone or a framework to continue to build, uh, you know, on that protection. You know, that crowdsourcing aspect of open source that I think uh, most of our listeners are probably aware of, where you know, everyone can contribute to a project and then make those changes available to everyone else to benefit from, uh, you know, means thousands of users and developers uh, around the world can contribute to that, you know, intelligence uh, about a particular cyber threat or a particular, you know, problem, whether it be ransomware or phishing attacks, uh, you know, or a particular algorithm that's used to, you know, solve a cybersecurity problem or even improve a, new, a user interface. Ultimately, the code is exposed for everyone to review and monitor and uh, audit and uh, learn from and improve so everyone benefits. To that point, Dave, can you, you mentioned AI earlier and algorithmic development overall. When we talk about open source code development and the way in which it drives AI or machine learning algorithmic development, is this the same point of crowdsourced collaboration that really drives the best AI development that then will really drive the future of cybersecurity? Sure. Using AI and machine learning for cybersecurity is a relatively new idea, you know, for cybersecurity, uh, you know, and it's and it's a break from uh, you know uh, the typical antivirus solutions too that are just signature based or pattern based, where you know if uh, uh, you know a certain pattern exists within an executable uh, that matches uh, you know something that was previously found, then they can identify it as uh, you know a potential threat and stop it. Uh, and, you know, instead we're seeing, you know, machine learning that's uh, like an immune system, basically, for organizations rather than building an armor uh, that's, you know, has to be constantly updated and, and scanning, you know, every single file for infections. Uh, you know, I think that that 
that is uh, a more antiquated technology these days, and uh, you know the more adaptive and uh, uh, you know, machine-based learning is uh, is really where where the industry is headed. You know, with these AI capabilities, we don't have to rely on human resources, you know, to evaluate all the potential security incidents. Uh, you know, they can uh, you know, identify uh, if a file had been compromised, for example, uh, by ransomware, if it would be, of course, and then have prevented it from staying on the system long before there was ever a possibility of it, of it executing. We're using it to detect anomalies in email security as well. Based on the billions of email messages that we've received, we've learned how to identify messages, say, an HR professional might, might normally receive, for example, um, you know, compared with uh, you know, a phishing attack that purports to be from a trusted employee or executive. And it's not just the content or, or the natural language, but also the, the metadata within the email, you know, as well as uh, you know, reputation that's learned from you know, those billions of messages. And thinking about this, I'm just thankful that the ransomware gangs themselves haven't, haven't figured out how to use AI to deploy their malware. But I suspect that those days are coming. You know, we believe they're developing their own zero-day attacks. And soon we expect that they'll be using AI to automate the sending of these malware campaigns. Dave, one question I had for you in regards to uh, vulnerabilities and zero-day exploitations. A lot of cybersecurity professionals claim that open source code is preferable because when a zero-day vulnerability is found or published, it can be dealt with a lot faster due to the collaborative nature of open source code um, compared to proprietary code. Have you found this to be true in your business operations, or do you think that there's something to be said about proprietary code maybe being able to invest more private uh, resources into ameliorating any vulnerabilities in their code? Yes, certainly open source has vulnerabilities. You know, we've seen that with the highly publicized Log4j vulnerability, and uh, I'm recalling OpenSSL from many years ago. Uh, you know, open source is pervasive. Every business uses it in some form or another. Uh, you know, but today, business demands are driving faster software development and, re and release cycles. Really, open source allows developers to have access to much larger sources of data and information. So, you know, open source isn't going anywhere. Open source helps control costs and increases the, the quality of the development because many people can review the code. Security vulnerabilities are typically found and fixed more rapidly, uh, you know, despite a few outliers like we've seen with Log4j and OpenSSL. It puts control back into the user. At least with you know the vulnerabilities that we have seen, they're found and fixed much more rapidly, typically. And open source has the potential to be much more securely developed. Uh, we're also seeing large efforts from organizations around the world putting resources into auditing existing code because open source is does form the framework of the internet. You know everything that from Facebook and Google and Amazon and uh, you know Linux, of course forms the foundation of you know, the technology on the internet today. So you know, businesses are putting resources into uh, you know, better securing it. As I said, open source really has the, the potential to be more secure and I believe is generally more secure than the proprietary alternatives that rely on uh, the organization uh, responsible for that code telling you that there's a vulnerability uh, and, and you know, potentially leaving you uh, at risk otherwise. Thank you very much for that answer, Dave. The 
final question that I wanted to ask you today pertains more to what cyber users can do outside of either artificial intelligence or automated cybersecurity mechanisms to bolster their own cybersecurity. So, in other words, what cyber hygiene practices or individual responsibilities can cyber users do to maximize their own security when interacting in the digital world and also to best bolster the security of their company while going about their daily cyber activities? Yeah, great question. You know, human error is responsible for the vast majority of cyber attacks. So education is going to continue to be an important area. Uh, you know, cybersecurity training, uh, you know, awareness, uh, you know, constant uh, education and, uh, uh, you know, being involved in, in cybersecurity, developing policies around cybersecurity and, uh, you know, a, a plan uh, for when an event occurs that, uh, that needs to be mitigated. Uh, you know, practically speaking, I think people should be uh, wary of malicious, potentially malicious URLs. You know, maybe hover over that link right before you click it. Another way that businesses can, uh, you know, really protect themselves is to not rely on uh, Microsoft 365. Uh, you know, the, the default le level of uh, protection that they provide is uh, sorely lacking. You know, Microsoft is great at email, but not so great at email security. Uh, you know, a large percentage of the attacks occur on that platform and other, you know, cloud email providers. Uh, and, you know, one successful attack could work across, you know, many thousands of different businesses. So, uh, you know, it makes it quite easy and a great target for these, uh, you know, cyber criminals uh, to really perfect their attack methods. Protect against spoofing and sender fraud using, you know, email protocols like SPF and DKIM. We're finding that many of our clients haven't implemented that, those you know, simple protection measures against spoofing where, you know, an email can be sent purporting to be someone within their organization benefit from that uh, trust relationship. And it could easily be stopped with, uh, you know, implementing some of these more technical protocols, uh, you know, from the experts. Uh, regular backups, of course, you know, that's, that's another one. Also testing your restore. Make sure that your restore doesn't, isn't backing up potential ransomware or, you know, some type of malware that, uh, you know, when you do have an incident, then you're, uh, you know, restoring that same potential malware to be, uh, attacked again. You know, use business email just for business email purposes. Keep the, uh, pictures of your friends and, you know, conversations about, uh, vacation plans or, you know, family events and, you know, more personal things to your personal email. Just re reduce the attack potential attack surface and you know, really focus on you know, keeping your business protected. And finally, I think one key piece of this is to connect and partner with an organization that's really going to uh, become an extension of your IT team uh, and protect you from email security threats, which is really where better than 90% of, of attacks are happening today. With all of us being short-staffed, trying to manage complicated email security policies and support requirements is really daunting. Partnering with a company, perhaps Guardian Digital, will give you the ability to focus on your core competencies and, and leave uh, email security, education and protection and management to our experts instead. Thank you very much for your time today, Dave. Great, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure, thanks for having me. Dave Resky is the CEO at Guardian Digital, which makes email safe for businesses. By helping companies stay ahead of emerging threats, 
Make informed cybersecurity business decisions, reduce management complexity, and free up IT resources. Rain is a risk intelligence company that provides access to critical insights, analysis, and support to ensure business continuity and resiliency for our members. Learn more about Rain's market-leading risk intelligence products at rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E network.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thank you for listening.